up to 90% of the country had been baptized Christian, but they had never been discipled. Their identity had never become an identity in Christ. In a time of war, they reverted back to their tribal identity instead of living out their Christian identity. As followers of Jesus, we've got to take the lead in being peacemakers. Hey, I'm Michael, AKA Milan Jones, talking with Dave Drum, author, professional unity evangelist, and founder of J17 Ministries. We are getting into the book, Peace Talks, The Good News of Jesus and a Donkey Elephant War. This book gives us time-tested solutions for the problems that we're facing today and what we need to do as believers in order to have true peace and unity in this nation. Let's hear what he has to say. Well, thanks. It's an honor to be with you here. Um, I was born in Tucson. I'm a native. Um, was uh, Went to school here up through college. I graduated from the University of Arizona, hence the big A behind us. Um, big fan of the Wildcats um, with a degree in mechanical engineering. And then I went straight from college into seminary and got a Master of Divinity from Trinity Lutheran Seminary back in Columbus, Ohio, um, and then came straight back to Tucson in 1990 and started um, leading a church called Community of Hope on the west side of town, and I led that church for 21 years. Wow. So you have a title of Professional Unity Evangelist, and uh, what does a Professional Unity Evangelist do? So um, the, the phrase comes from Jesus' prayer in John 17, where um, he, uh, he prays in verse 23 that our unity would be so complete or perfect that the world would come to know who Jesus is and how much God loves them. So that's the calling of an evangelist, and a unity evangelist is just someone who uh, is able to... Um, focus and prioritize on unity in the body of Christ as a way for the world to come to know who Jesus is. A professional unity evangelist gets paid to do that. And so it's been my privilege for the last nine years to be full-time focused on bringing greater unity to the body of Christ in our city. It's, it's not a part-time um, job uh, after I do my paying job, it is my paying job and it has been for the last nine years. Awesome. Awesome. And why did you write the book Peace Talks? So I had two reasons for writing Peace Talks. Um, one of them is professional. Um, it seems to me that the place where we struggle the most with unity is in the arena of politics. Um, I, over the last nine years, I've met so many Christians who are mature believers, but who are in different political parties. And um, especially, for instance, on social media, we are not our best selves on social media. Mm-hmm. And um, we, uh, so there's a, a very practical reason for writing Peace Talks, because we've got to get better at living out our faith in the political arena 
um, which means more than just who you vote for and being passionate about that, but it also means how we treat one another um, with the love of Christ, and, and we tend not to do that very well. So that's the professional reason for writing the book. Um, there's also a personal reason, because my own family was one that would have some of those really painful political conversations that would end up in tears and fighting and doors slamming and everything else with our young adult children um, or, or children who were still living at home in high school at the time. And so um, the principles that we end up talking about in peace talks, we had to learn how to put them into practice in my own family. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy to say that, that while we haven't arrived, it's been a very long time since we've had a political blowout. And it's not because we've avoided the topics, it's because we've learned how to talk about them in mutually respectful ways, even though we're not all coming from the same place at all. Oh, that's the good. So the personal reason is just as important to me as the professional. Wow. So the first chapter is called Casualties of War. And why did you choose that as a title? Um, I use in the first chapter the story of a good friend of mine, um, uh, Pastor Celestine Musakura. He is a pastor in Rwanda, and um, I have he was a pastor in Rwanda during the time of the genocide. And he reminds his listeners anytime he has the opportunity to talk, the genocide was back in 1994. Over a million people were slaughtered in that genocide. Um, And he reminds listeners that just a few years before that, up to 90% of the country had been baptized Christian, but they had never been discipled. And so um, he says they were essentially baptized pagans. Their identity had never become an identity in Christ their primary identity was still Hutu or Tutsi. Mm-hmm. And so they, in, in a time of war, they reverted back to their tribal identity instead of living out their Christian identity so that they would have seen one another as brothers and sisters in Christ instead of members of the opposite tribe. Well, anytime he's spoken in America, I've heard him say the same thing now probably at least a half dozen times where he will say, my observation of you Americans is that you have tribes too. It's just you call them Republican and Democrat. And your tribes are at war just like ours were. It's just that you use words instead of machete. And it's such a powerful imagery that I just find it to be a a helpful way of describing what's taking place in our hyper-political partisanship. Um, It's been interesting to me to hear both political parties use that that war language themselves, Mm -hmm. um, saying that the other party has declared war on them. And and, uh, uh, I've heard heard that from both sides. So while it's, um, it's strong language, I think it's accurate language to describe how partisan we've become. Yeah. I totally agree with that, <laughs> especially with the talking about, you know, finding our identity in a political party instead of finding it solely in Christ. 
and then letting yep. that influence uh, how we respond to um, arguments or respond to things we disagree with, you know, exactly. or who we support, you know. Um, in what ways can we practice better self-reflection and humility uh, so that we handle confrontation in a constructive way? You talked about that on page 20 about uh, having that humility and, and self-reflection. Yeah. Well, um, my hope is that the entire book will help us be able to answer that question. Um, in the first chapter, I kind of introduced some of the major themes that we would be looking at um, later on. Um, and what part of that is just understanding how we got to the place that we are, where the partisanship is so significant. And so in, uh, in subsequent chapters, um, we'll identify seven different uh, factors that have led to the division that we find ourselves in right now. Um, understanding what some of those factors are can help us then um, fight against them and respond with more humility. Um, I think particularly as Christians, there are believers in Christ in both political parties. And I, I know some folks have trouble believing that. They've so conflated their Christian faith with their political worldview that they see them as one and the same. But um, when you've had the privilege, like I've had, of working full-time for Christian unity, um, you get to know uh, heroes of the faith, but who would self-identify in opposite parties. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so we'll take a look later on at some platforms from each political party that I believe Jesus would support. Um, and then when we come back around towards the end of our time together, we'll look at some very practical ways that we can befriend those um, who come from a different political background, come to seek greater understanding and humility in that process, and then out of that, seek solutions that draw from the best of both sides of the aisle instead of seeing the other side of the aisle as the enemy. That's good. That's good. Uh, and it's the way, I mean, to honor Christ in our dialogue, you know, because it says in scriptures that we're not supposed to be quarrelsome. <laughs> so <laughs> so if, if we're supposed to be that, then, you know, we're both claiming to be Christians and, and we're fighting and and the world's looking out on us like, wow, this is a Christian nation or this is a Christian people or and they're they're killing each other through their through their language. I mean, yes. I mean, how's that honoring God? Um, so, how can we shift the American perspective from partisanship to peace? Well, um, there. This will date me. There was a, a song when I was growing up called um, "Let Peace Begin with Me." Um, I think that's the sentiment that. Uh, that we have to start with, um, we most of us don't have direct influence um, on what happens in Washington and how the politicians respond to each other. But we certainly have direct influence on how we respond to one another. And so um, it's got to start with us. Uh, we The first step to being part of the solution is to stop being part of the problem. 
And so mm -hmm. if we can learn how to respectfully uh, respond to each other, then um, that's the place that it has to start. And if more and more of us would do that all across the country, then um, I think you wouldn't see politicians uh, pandering to the kind of hate language that we've grown so accustomed to because um, it just wouldn't go over well. Mm -hmm. um, they, they give us what they think we want because that's how we act too. So if we change how we respond, I think the politicians would start to eventually catch up to that. Um, so I think that's the first step and the most important step. And then for myself, I've started in, in evaluating candidates. Um, one of the things that I look for is, are they unifiers or are they dividers? So it isn't just what how they vote on different platforms, but do they seem like they care about the entire country or is it just promoting their side and stomping the other side? Um, I'm of the opinion that we need unifiers more than maybe we need anything else in our nation. And so it, it also affects what kind of candidate I'm looking for, both on a local level as well as on a national level. Um, so I think those two things, responding how we treat with, with one another, um, and then also who we vote for and what we're looking for in candidates. That's good. Starts with us. <laughs> starts with peace yeah, within. It starts with us. Exactly. That's good. Uh, why should we seek peace rather than victory? <laughs> um, I, uh, I I like the analogy of an airplane, and on an airplane, um, it's a really really bad idea to blow up the people on the other side of the aisle. Um, <laughs> If we do that, the whole plane goes down. Well, I think as a nation, we're, we're all on the same plane. And um, when we blow up the other side of the aisle, the whole country goes down. Um, and so um, I, I, my impression, I wasn't alive um, when it was happening, but my impression is that there have been times in our history where we had a better understanding that each political party comes from their own perspective, but the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And where we're all striving for a more perfect union to use the language of the founders. Mm -hmm. um, and so you could have robust debate on topics, but the purpose was so that the outcome would be stronger than what either one party could bring to the table by themselves. I think we've largely lost that. And, and now the goal is not to come up with a better solution. The goal is to win more votes and stomp the other party more fully than we did in the last election. And mm -hmm. um, we've, we've got to be, uh, it takes something bigger than the gap to bridge the gap. And that something is a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so as followers of Jesus, we've got to take the lead in being peacemakers, being people of peace. And politics shouldn't be the exception to that. Mm -hmm. um, when Jesus called us to be peacemakers, he didn't say except when it comes to politics. So 
Um, <laughs> so we've got to apply that calling to the political realm, just like we apply it every place else. And I don't think that that means that we should not hold our convictions. I don't think it means that at all. I think it may mean that we add some new convictions to the ones that we're used to. Um, but I don't think it means that we hold the convictions that we have, have less um, less strongly, particularly if they're biblically based. Um, we just need to get out more and see that the the um, the convictions that we're passionate about may be overly aligned with our political party, mm-hmm. and some of the convictions from the other side of the aisle are needed for a more perfect union just as much as the ones that we've been used to trumpeting. Yeah, I always see this as, you know, uh, a a husband-wife kind of situation because, I mean, in my family, I kind of saw my dad more as the Republican (laughs) to where he was like, get out there, do it on your own and whatever. And my mom was more kind of like the Democrat was like, oh, no, he needs some aid, you know, needs some help. You can't just leave him out there more communicative, more uh, social, I guess you could say. Um, But without a man and a woman, you're not going to have a child. (laughs) And without a, you know, peaceful house, that child is not going to grow up, you know, and feeling safe, you know. And so, I mean. That's, you know, it'll be kind of messed up if if one parent was only worried about I want to win an argument because if they were doing that, it's just going to pretty much burn the whole house down. And so I think that's such a helpful analogy. Um, Just exactly the way you phrase it. I think it's really, really helpful. And um, and as a child, you needed the perspective of both. It's not one or the other, it's both. We take a whole chapter in the book and talk about the importance of the both and instead mm-hmm. of the either or. And um, I, that's how we have to approach the political parties. Um, the, the other side of the aisle um, reached the conclusions that they did based on their life experience. Well, we'll be richer if we can benefit from all of our life experiences instead of just half of the life experiences. And so we may not come to agree and we won't come to agree on every single issue, but agreement isn't as much necessary as the process. I've often thought that Jesus is more concerned in, in many instances with the process than he is with the results. It's not an either or, it's a both and. But he's oftentimes, um, you know, should we buy this house or should we buy that house? Well, he's probably more interested in the, in the process. Do we seek him? Do we trust him? Do we ask questions? Are we respectful? Are we a good witness for the kingdom in, all throughout the whole process? He can bless us no matter which house we end up living in. Hmm. So I think there's just lots of examples like that where He's um, he's as concerned about the process as he is the results. And politically, I certainly think that's true. Loving one another and showing honor to one another is the process that's needed um, as we go through um, these political seasons that we're in right now. That's really deep. That's really deep because uh, I remember hearing about like the journey is more important than the destination. 
Um, and I always thought to myself, well, that's silly. <laughs> you know, I need to get to this place right here, right now. But if you think about it, uh, you know, some people will say by any means necessary. And the problem with that is that if you arrive at a destination um, with just your leg there, <laughs> you're not going to enjoy the destination because <laughs> you're just exactly right. you're not. Yeah. So it's like, do I end up in that place like whole or do I end up in that place where I can't even. You know, like it says uh, in scriptures, some people have wealth, they can't even enjoy it, you know. Right. And so it's like when we were trying to get to this this place and this destination of you're saying like, uh, you know, what house that we would buy, you know, it's like, what is the process? Did I kill somebody in this process or did we arrive here together, you know, like God intended us to? Uh, that is a very, very good observation and point um what is true peace yeah good question um i think a lot of us mistakenly see peace as merely the absence of conflict but um especially biblically the mm -hmm. old testament hebrew word for peace was shalom and shalom means a lot more than absence of conflict it means the, the presence of health. It means the, the presence of right relationships. Um, peace includes a concern for justice, that um, wrongs are righted. And so um, a lot of times the, the, um, a peacemaker is the person who says, um, hey, this is broken and needs attention. And we need to we we need to work towards some solutions because some of our group are being left behind, mm -hmm. um, and and so um, peace is making sure that the whole is taken care of, all of the different parts are taken care of, nobody's left behind, um, and that um, God's righteousness and justice are available for all. So um, it's a very holistic word. And true peace um, needs to incorporate a concern for justice right into it, um, and not just a lack of a lack of conflict on the surface. Uh, true peace goes beneath the surface to make sure that um, all the wounds are cleaned out mm -hmm. and that we're healing completely and wholly and entirely. I That's mixed a whole good. bunch of metaphors in there. Sorry yeah. about that, but I got them. Because it's like, okay, very good. <laughs> instead of giving somebody drugs, you actually are giving them some kind of preventive medicine that they actually heal. I mean, there's a thing about yeah. giving somebody some drugs to make them feel good at that time, but that disease is still not, you know, being taken away. Um, and I think sometimes that's what we try to do. We try to just give people some um, relief, quick relief, which, I mean... Either or, it, it can be helpful, but the thing is, like, if you're bailing out water, but you never fix the hole, then it's like, what are we doing, you know? Exactly. And and to, to the analogy that you were just using, um, if we have a fever, it's because our body, our body is fighting something. So if all we do is treat the fever, but never treat the root cause, um, 
the, the root cause could turn around and cause much bigger problems. It could even kill us. So the fever could actually be our friend because it's letting us know that something is not right. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like the nerve endings in, in my finger. If they're functioning right, they'll let me know if my finger is on a hot stove. Mm -hmm. If they're not functioning right, I'll just end up burning my finger off. Um, so we need the indicators that let us know that something is not quite right. Um, so that we can address whatever the root causes and the root problems are. Mm -hmm. That's the picture of peace is after we've addressed what those root issues are um, and, um, and repaired them, whatever they might be. And your ministry, J17 Ministries, talks about, based on uh, John 17, um, yes. that we will be in complete unity um, my pastor, uh, Pastor Whalen, he uh, said something about a puzzle piece. He's like, you know, if you have a puzzle and you, you know, put it together, but it's missing that one piece, you're not going to be showing that puzzle off to somebody. Be like, oh yeah, look at this puzzle, and uh, you know, yeah. they're like, hey, there's a piece missing. <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, okay, you know. So I believe God sees us the same way. You know, it's just like until we all come together in complete unity i mean there's a thing to have some kind of unity but that complete unity where you're saying every little piece every little person is is found their home they found where they belong you know and things are reconciled that's when that picture that god intended us to um be is actually uh seen and the world knows like wow you know god is loving god is here god is you know, the way and salvation. Um, exactly. Yeah, I, I just... Yeah. Go ahead. No, you're the one that's supposed to be talking more, so... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, I think the, the most powerful picture that the Bible uses for that unity is the picture of a body. And we're, we're so used to it, we don't even think of it as an analogy for unity mm -hmm. because we talk about the church as the body of Christ all the time. But the body if nothing else, is an incredible metaphor and picture of unity. Um, my, my eyeball and my pancreas are incredibly different from each other. Mm -hmm. um, my, uh, my, my lips and my big toe don't look or function anything alike. Mm -hmm. And yet, um, if my body were missing either of them, um, it would be a much weaker body. So the goal is not to have all the parts looking exactly alike. Mm -hmm. The goal is to have all of the parts aligned, not alike. Um, they're aligned under the same head, yes. and that head is Jesus. Amen. Um, and when, uh, when, when each part is drawing its purpose and its identity and its um, instructions from the same head, then the body is this amazing symphony of, of all of these different notes and parts, and, um, but all operating under one coordinated effort to accomplish amazing things. Um, I think the body is just a powerful picture of unity. Another thing that stood out to me when you said that, not only do we share the same head, we share the same blood. You yes. know. <laughs> yes. And we have to... That, that's where our nutrients come from, you know. That's where our power comes from. Man. Yeah, yeah well, that's good. 
did you have any other things uh, that you want to add to that? Uh, any uh, closing words? Well, I think um, the uh, we're just in really critical times as a nation. And so my hope is that through this podcast and in subsequent weeks, as we look at some other chapters, um, through the through the book itself, Peace Talks, The Good News of Jesus in a Donkey Elephant War, um, my hope is that more of us can make a concentrated effort to be part of the solution instead of accidentally being part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And so um, my, uh, that's, that's my hope and my prayer that um, I can play my part in all of this and offer this as a contribution toward a healthier church and um, ultimately a healthier country as well. Amen. Would you close us in a prayer just that we would retain all this and just pray for our nation? <laughs> I would love to, yeah. Thank you. Um, Father, thank you so much for this time that you've given us together. And um, thank you that, uh, Jesus, you gave us such a powerful prayer in John 17 and such a powerful picture of what unity can look like. Um, God, we pray that um, we would learn as a nation how Republicans and Democrats could be seen as two parts of a greater whole instead of warring enemies that must be defeated. Um, God, help us to um, humanize our friends in the other uh, side of the aisle instead of demonize them. And um, God, I I just pray that you would help us um, grasp some of the concepts that you're wanting to download into our spirit, that it would make a difference not only in our nation and in our city, but God, within our own families and within our own workplaces, where so often politics have led to um, painful divisions, sometimes even the end of relationships over political fights and squabbles. God, would you help us to um, work for the whole, led by your Holy Spirit, um, and in step with you, Lord Jesus, we pray. Um, Again, we ask your blessing on this time, um, what we've heard and what we'll be talking about in future weeks. We thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So that was Dave Drum, professional unity evangelist, author, and founder of J17 Ministries. You can get his book, Peace Talks, on j17ministries.org or Amazon. Just search Peace Talks, The Good News of Jesus in a Donkey Elephant War. Thanks for joining Peace Talks. I'm Michael, a.k.a. Milan Jones. This was a production of Mike Solo Studios and presented by The Jesus Party. You can support this podcast by going to jesusparty.net slash donate or mikesolo.com slash jesus party thank you for listening and i want to give a big shout out to those who are already contributing to this i thank god for you and appreciate your prayers your support and your contributions aaron and piola scott sophia williams jody and dan mayhew shannon and joe lewis jesse miller troy olson charles mays Nehemiah Tracy, Eddie and Mina Jones, and Lawrence Webb. Have a great day. This is biblical, not political.